Here are some fun facts about today's guest. He wanted to become a toy designer after seeing the movie Big, so he started writing toy companies in fifth grade, and he got paid to play with toys underneath the Jurassic Park T-Rex at Times Square, Toys R Us. He also got paid to play with Lego for 16 years. He's currently running a workshop to help folks rediscover play called Your Future is Where Your Fun Is, where play is used to figure out how to navigate through all kinds of uncertainty. My guest is Jeff Harry. I'm Aiden Nepom, and this is The Changed Podcast. Jeff Harry, welcome to the Change Podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. So happy to be here. This is awesome. Um, I am super thrilled. I want to hear all about your bow tie immediately. Yeah, let's start with that. So um, <laughs> it started off as a joke. So when I worked for this organization where we taught kids engineering with Lego and we got adults to play using Lego, I would go to all these conferences and everyone was all dressed up with their costumes on, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Costumes are super serious. So, so one day, uh, my colleague Lisa was like, "Hey, we're making these bow ties. Maybe we should wear one to the to this conference." And I was like, "Ooh, that looks like that's <laughs> a great idea." So I put it on as a joke, and the conference was so much better for me. And I think the reason why was because I attracted all of the nerds. All oh, the interesting. show up to me, show up. And they also realized that they didn't have to be as serious with me. They could actually just be their nerdy selves. So I would speak to people about Lego, Star Wars, Marvel movies, because it was just like, it was, it was just this, you know, I was, I was giving people permission to basically say like, hey, I'm acting like an idiot. I'm acting ridiculous. So you can as well. <laughs> Um, and then I just started wearing it all the time. I wore it to airports. I started wearing it to restaurants. And I was like, the day was totally different when I would wear it. And then we gave away in the last, I think in the last five years, I gave away a thousand of them. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing what a huge difference a small uh, change made we didn't even get to your official story yet we've already heard one incredible yeah and and the best part is i needed one more to get all seven continents and then someone from that was going to antarctica was like i'm going to antarctica can i get a bow tie and then she sent it i sent it to her and there's a photo i have a photo of her i haven't posted anywhere but i have a photo of her on Antarctica wearing her blue bow tie. I was dying when I saw that. I was like, let's go. This is awesome. That's incredible. That is super incredible. So uh, so I've had a lot of people on the show who have an improv background, but you have a play-based background and you are doing a ton of play. And I think it's important to distinguish that improv is a kind of play, but play is not limited to improv. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Sure. So first off, I love to like first define what play is, at least to me. So the people are like, what is play? Um, and I see play <laughs> as anything that you do that brings you joy where you're fully present. You're not thinking about the past. You're not thinking about the future. Um, 
and you're just just enjoying the process so much that you forget about time, right? Mm -hmm. So that could be anything, you know, running, reading, you know, creating stuff, like whatever it is. Um, so I don't limit, I don't like limiting it to like, this is play and this is not play, right? Yeah. Um, and the way in which I play now is I combine um, a lot of the experiences that I had running team building events for like Fortune 500 companies with my positive psychology background to create experiences where people realize something about themselves that they otherwise wouldn't. So for example, yesterday, uh, my colleague Lauren and I ran a workshop called Your Future is Where Your Fun Is, mm -hmm. where we asked attendees to think back on their favorite memories as a child, right? What were their favorite play memories? And then identify the play values underneath it. So oh, cool. For, yeah, so for example, for me, like, or you want to do you? Oh, maybe. I mean, what came to mind immediately was actually this theory that I have about men. <laughs> this is going to sound horrible. Oh, no, this no, is painting no. me in a terrible light immediately. Um, I'm just going to do it anyway. Do it anyway, because this is what we do. This just is get the into it. Part. This is the play, well, right? And I can get into the reasons why I think it's gendered um, specifically, mm -hmm. but... It, and it's a little bit about like societal permissions and yeah. societal pressures. But I think men, um, whatever they were super into when they hit puberty remains important to them for the rest of their lives. So for my dad, uh, comic books, Star Trek, mm. and the Beatles. Mm. For my husband, Tron, improv slash theater, and... Um, I mean, just like generally science fiction, action, kung fu movies, all that stuff. Right, 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 um, right. So like uh, the, all of those things have remained important to him. For me, one of the things that was most important to me at that time was baseball. And I still love baseball, but it hasn't, maint it hasn't maintained priority status in my life. Right. Um, and so, it, and there were other things and they have come full circle for me. Like, so, you know, so like, what is one of the, your favorite memories as a child playing? Um, let's see. Uh, one of my most, my most favorite memories, uh, is super vivid. Um, I was in third grade living in Washington state in a little tiny town called Spangle, Washington. And there was this ball field literally behind my house. So I could go from my backyard up the stairway to this ball field for the small Seventh-day Adventist community. Now, this is getting very specific uh, to a very specific period of my life. I'm no longer involved in Seventh-day Adventism in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it was a very brief blip, but I digress. Um, but this ball field in the wintertime would get covered in snow, covered in snow. And then the wind would blow and blow these huge drifts. Ooh. And we, um, as kids in that neighborhood did stuff that you're really not supposed to do, which is you're not supposed to burrow into a drift of snow because it could collapse on you and it's terribly dangerous. But we didn't know that. So we made these amazing caves and these snow drifts. And, um, the best place was like, if there was a snow drift against a stairwell, it was like, it gave uh -huh. you a little structure. Right, um, right. and we, it was like, we became builders 
and architects in this environment and it, it, to be able to design um, a secret tiny hideaway that was just especially for us that to the outside just looked like a drift of snow was incredibly satisfying, um, collaborative, and also like just cool looking. So, anyway. so identifying what do you think are the values that that represented? And I'll give you an example from mine. Like I loved when I was a kid connecting board games together, like all of them together and making an epic board game experience. Oh, wow. Like Clue, Mousetrap, Monopoly, Candyland, Shoots and Ladders, all of them. And then I would have my sisters play these long epic games which they hated, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, but I enjoyed, what I identified was I enjoyed it creating a memory. I enjoyed it creating an experience. Mm -hmm. um, I enjoyed the adventure of it. So for you, making those, you know, those worlds <laughs> in that dangerous drift, what do you think were some of those? Um, collaboration but what are the other ones? yeah i mean good news for me i think i've already do living my best uh child inspired life but uh collaborating with people to create a tangible result um that is cool so like you know, there was like organizing that had to happen in the moment. Like, you know, mm -hmm. we've got 10 minutes. We're going to build this thing so we can play with mm -hmm. it. So, you know, there had to be like a quick agreement that we're just, yeah, we're definitely burrowing into this snowdrift. Like that's definitely happening. And then somebody would be like, oh, let's use a giant snowball to be like a big boulder door. And we'll make it like a secret lair. And then everybody would be like, yeah, let's do that. So it's definitely like that, that instant enthusiastic agreement towards a common goal that everyone's excited about. Ding dong. I'm into that. So, you know, good news for me. I work <laughs> as a coach and consultant on collaborative team endeavors it's like and it's not enough to just be like these are collaborative behaviors and they're desirable because people like to be heard which is true but it's also about tangible results without right. them it's totally unsatisfying to me right so like i want to help people get to something that they're excited about right so you know good news for me i'm already doing it but yeah sure. <laughs> but, but that's but that's what we did is like in that workshop we had people identify their play values. And then we talked about flow and play and being like, those are synonymous with each other. And if you're able to get into a flow state, you can figure out what you want to do next. Because a lot of the people that were on that call were either unemployed or they wanted to leave their job or they wanted to do something new. Yeah, and, yeah. And what we had them do is we did two exercises. One of like having them mourn and let go of what happened in 2019. Ooh. Yeah, like what, or not even what, let go of what happened in 2019, but let go of what, what you, you expected you wanted from 2020. Because yes. I was like, we can't create the next amazing play thing until mm -hmm. you let go of what is not happening. Mm -hmm. And so they had to write that down, look at it, think about it, and then finally crumple it up and like literally throw it behind them, which is an aspect of like playing, right? And then we dove into, based off the play values that you identified earlier, let's brainstorm all the ways in which you could play. 
So then in their groups, people would give them suggestions and they'd fill this idea pinata with all these ideas of what they possibly could do. And these are strangers just giving them suggestions. And then at the end, um, they would pick out the one that's most resonated with them. And that's the one they would commit to doing. And they had a text of a friend to become a play buddy in order to make it happen. So like, that was like a workshop we ran, right? So that, that was that's like- That's incredible. That was an that's incredible because that's also what an incredible change process that you're bringing people through. You know, it's like you could do worse than to just immediately steal this if you're listening to this podcast and just in in your own life, just go, uh, all right, time to mourn what I thought was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Think about my because this took a few minutes to just quickly and, you know, a little bit of shortcuts here because of our shared love of this type of work. Um, but to just take that moment and think back to these things that are really meaningful and then do some digging towards your future. Like that's a, that's pretty sweet, Jeff. Yeah. And what was so cool about it was people wrote back afterwards and they're like, oh my gosh, I haven't thought about how I played as a kid in so long. Or like, oh, I came up with these, all these crazy ideas or oh, I texted a friend that's going to help me be the play buddy and they were so excited about it. Like, you know, I know someone right now who is having, she just got an unemployed, but mm-hmm. she's having an amazing time on TikTok. She's creating all these amazing <laughs> videos and I keep telling her her next job will be because of her TikTok followers. Her TikTok followers will help her find her next job because she's mm-hmm. just fully herself, right? And giving so much to them that at some point, if she ever was just like, hey, you know, I'm looking for a job. So if anyone knows of anything in this area, they would be like, yes, I will do whatever I can because you've been bringing me so much joy in my life. Right. So like that's just one example of how I play. I I also run a workshop on how to play with your inner critic, like that that quiet person in your head. Um, My friend Gary and I run a workshop called How Do You Deal With The the a-hole had work through play. <laughs> and, and Gary was a guest on this podcast. So people right, are familiar right. with Gary. So you guys yeah. work together on that. That's cool. Yeah. So we went to us, we went to Boston and did it at inbound. We went to Australia and then we were going to go to South by Southwest and do it. And then it got canceled. Right. So that was yeah, one of the yeah. things I was mourning. Um, and now I'm working um, with another person to Sean on, um, we're running a workshop at an HR virtual summit in October called How to Not Be Racist at Work by Accident. And it's like- Oh, do you think that's possible for people to not be racist at work by accident? Well, that's what we're saying is like, we are gonna challenge people to feel what it's like to be a person of color in the workplace. So they can feel like, what is that like? How does it feel Mm -hmm. to be there? And then also then hack yourself and be like, it's okay. We make mistakes all the time. You know, like like that's just the reality of it, right? But let's just mm-hmm. make ourselves more aware so that we can just create a more inclusive environment, right? So all of this can be done with play. Like you can dive into deep things. And I think a lot of times people think play is very frivolous. And it's like, dude, your best memories in your entire life are probably <laughs> play memories. So what are you talking about it being frivolous? Um, recently, I had a, a really awesome improviser on the show talking about the power of being 
and what you can do with being as an improviser, which again is a kind of play, but it's, it's this idea that uh, you can learn things in new and interesting ways. If you take a moment to be somebody mm-hmm. else, which is different than pretending to be somebody else, you're just mm-hmm. going to actually step into that experience a little bit and learn from that. And it sounds like that's what you're doing. Very yeah. cool. I mean, I think, I think what, like my ultimate goal is, is to, I think I say this in my mantra of like, I help people tap back into their inner child um, so we can change the world for the better, right? Like we, because if some, uh, there's this quote, you know, um, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive, right? Mm-hmm. Because what the world needs is for more people to come alive. So when we're nerding out and someone hears this, then they're like, man, I'm going to nerd out. I'm going to take a risk. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make my own, my own drifts and make a huge snowball boulder. Like I'm going to do these things because I see other people doing it. And it's like, oh, that's so cool. They're having so much fun. I want to go where they're having fun, you know? Nice. Jeff, how would you describe your relationship with change on a personal level? Um, change. Yeah, it's a fat word and it means so much. Like, um, I literally changed earrings today, but also, you know, my life has changed in the last year and is perpetually changing. So it's big. Yeah. It's a fat word. But what, generally speaking, when you're like, well, what is my relationship with change? How would you describe that? I think I, I when I think of the word change is like, so I, I work, you know, or volunteered on the 2008 Obama campaign a lot. And that was the word, right? Like that was the word that we were campaigning on. Um, and the way in which I interpreted then and I interpret it now is change is evolution. You know, it is like, it is, it is going through something that can be super painful or it could be super fun or it could be both. I think that's the really cool thing that I love about positive psychology. It's not, it's not about being positive all the time or about toxic positivity. It's about like you have all these emotions and you're allowed to have all of them, all at the same time, all at the same yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just like, you know, when I, I always reference how, you know, when my father died and we were at uh, his funeral, like all of his brothers showed up. All of his brothers hadn't shown up in 30 years since his mom died. So seeing his whole, our whole family surrounded, surrounding us, I was happy. I was like joyful. I was like grateful. And then, and then I realized, I was like, oh my gosh, but I'm at a funeral, I should be super sad. And then, and then to be like, I can be multiple things was so liberating to me. And mm-hmm. I think you forget that a lot of times. So, so I think a lot of people are like, oh, I don't like change. Well, what is it that you don't like about change? You don't like the painful part, but there's also such a fun part too. You know, like I remember, I think of when people break up with someone and then they're like, I'm never gonna be with anyone ever again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're in that mode and you're like, because I don't want to get hurt that badly. Yeah. Like, but it's like, but also you're giving up all of the love and the experience that you also had. Like it's both. You, you, you fell in love and that must've been super fun as well. So, you know, does that outweigh, does the pain outweigh the joy and the, and the memories? Like, I don't know, man. So I'm all about it. I'm all about like changing because that's like, 
that's what kids do. They're constantly changing. So, and I think I'm yeah. still seven years old. <laughs> well, speaking as the um, parent of a stepdaughter who is seven and a half years old, I can definitely vouch for that children are constantly changing. And I think anyone who's had kids or been one should be able to verify that. There's the constant growth, teeth falling out, teeth growing in. Uh, it reminds me of this. I was at a, I was at Hunger Games, the movie, a while while ago, and when it first came out, and there were these two teenage girls in front of us, and right before the movie started, she, they turned to each other and they were like, "This, this movie's gonna change our lives," you know, <laughs> and like, like in a sense, it was, it was, right? And then I remember talking to my niece, and she was just like, "Oh, I like this boy, but I can't talk to him." And I was like, "Why don't you talk to him?" And she's like, "Because I would." die if I call yes you. you know like there is there is this you you are in a sense that part of your identity is and I think that ultimately is what changes right so you know tying that to us in the adult world is is we I, so many of us thought 2020 was going to be our year mm-hmm. we were in a shine bright and it was going to be amazing and then that didn't happen and a lot of people are still holding on to that identity of what they could have been. Oh, and interesting. they're sitting in that suffering because they're like so fixated on the result they should have gotten. Yes. Instead of just being like, I got to let go of that and just be fully present in what's happening like right now. Because if, if you know, I was telling your listeners, if you're trying to figure out like what to do next, allow yourself to be fully present. Wow, what does that mean? Well, how do, how do I be fully present? Well, whatever you do, just start enjoying the process and letting go of the result. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means actually like allowing yourself to like fall into flow. Well, that sounds like some woo-woo stuff. What does that mean? Well, that means actually like less, letting yourself listen to your curiosity, like getting mm-hmm. super quiet and letting that whisper voice, not a loud voice, but the whisper voice be like, this would be cool if we did this if we made the big snowball, you know, like, and follow yes. and see where it takes you. And then lean on those play values that we talked about earlier. And you create like this cyclical experience, almost like flowing or maybe flowing down the river. And it's super easy. You don't have to force anything. You're like, oh, maybe I'll go here. Or maybe I'll go here. Because, because the opposite of flow is like, feeling a huge amount of anxiety. Like they have this flow chart, Dr. Chiksai Mihai has this flow chart where it shows skill and difficulty. And when the mm-hmm. challenge is really hard and you have no skill, you have a huge amount of anxiety, right? But mm-hmm. then when you have a huge amount of skill and very, you know, and it's not really challenging, it's, you get bored, kind of like watching Netflix. Like you can enjoy Netflix for a little bit, but after a while you're like, I'm super bored. But when you meet difficulty and challenge together, like challenge and skill meet, then you're doing something super cool. Like when you are making those, like those worlds in that drip, right? And it's perfectly challenged. And that is the flow part. And that's where all the cool answers are. That's where all the, the fun <laughs> stuff is. So we're like, I just want to help people get back into the fun stuff, get back into the flow, get back into the, the fun river. That's really exciting. I love that. And I love that um, 
there's, you know, there's room for all feelings. I think it's important that you pointed that out because uh, you can get excited. I mean, we tell this to our children when tragedy strikes, but they're still hungry for lunchtime mm-hmm. or, you know, like, like when, uh, when my kiddo was five and her goldfish, sorry, her betta fish, her blue betta fish. Oh my God. It's been, sorry. Sorry, Bubbles. I didn't mean to misidentify you. Uh, her blue betta fish passed away and she was really upset. And also she wanted to know if we could go out for ice cream and was like worried about asking for what she wanted because we had a little mini funeral and Mm -hmm. honored his memory. We're trying to teach her about grief. And Mm -hmm. she's like, for days she was wrestling with this because she would just be doing something fun and then she'd stop and she'd go, I miss bubbles. Mm -hmm. And now in trying to make room for all of these things, I'm not sure that we were clear in our messaging or not, but when friends come over to play, which it's been a while, uh, she wants to take them over to bubbles, little resting place and like share a little bit of joy with bubbles. That's awesome. And it's kind of beautiful, but it's also, I think it speaks to that, the complicated nature of having multiple emotions at once. Humans are complicated creatures and we think we're pretty figured out we're so not figured out but there's so much we can figure out when we let go of being figured out exactly i think i think what i love that's so liberating about kids is is they'll just they'll just take take it all and just play with it and i Mm -hmm. think as an adult we and i've wrote in many articles about this we're so fixated on what is the right thing to do the wrong thing yeah what i do Mm -hmm. And I do what is what is correct, what is wrong, and and we get that because of like our educational system and wanting to be validated all the all of our lives and everything like that. Um, but there's something that really resonated with me um, from Viola Davis. She said this at a at a conference I was at. She goes, um, "You either you either choose who you are." or you end up chasing your worth for the rest of your life. And mm. what really resonates me about that is like so many of us are chasing our worth and trying to please somebody else. We're trying to impress someone else. It's like, who are you trying to impress? Wow. Whoa. You know, like, well, when you look at kids, they're not trying to impress nobody. They don't care. They're not, <laughs> they're not asking for permission. They're not like, you know, they're like, oh, oh I'll wait till you're done. They're like, no, no, this is the most important thing's happening. And that's me right now. You know, but like, they're just being fully themselves. And I think because partly because of our educational system and being told we have to raise our hands all the time and being told we have to have permission all the time that um, we have been told to tamp down who we are, to tamp down our uniqueness um, and to try to assimilate as much as possible. And it's just like, well, how's that working out for you? That's not healthy. Like mm-hmm. everything that we is communicated through us, the media is don't be yourself, be somebody else. And we have to combat that on a daily basis. So no wonder we're having all these problems is like, even during the pandemic, some people were like, you know what you should do during the pandemic is this. And it's like, whoa, did you, have you been in a pandemic before? Like, were you around in 1918? Because if you weren't, you need to shut your mouth. Like, you just need to shut your mouth because nobody knows what we're doing. Nobody knows what to do right now. 
So just right. own the fact you don't know. None of us know. Hey, and guess what? None of us ever knew. None of us ever knew, but now <laughs> it's obvious. So stop bullshitting. <laughs> I talked to uh, I talked to a researcher recently um, who uh, was also on the podcast, and uh, which is how I was able to talk to this person. One of the things he pointed out was um, that what we knew in March is not the same as what we currently know, and next March it will be different because that's the nature of discovery. And right. he was like, scientists are cool with change. You get excited about change because right. it's your knowledge is constantly changing and growing. People that suffer from play deprivation, right? Like that's an actual yeah. thing. And it's, it's, it's because they cannot handle change. They cannot handle being adaptable to something. They get so fixated on it. And then they go into a really resistant, depressive state because if they're mm -hmm. like, if I can't have this thing work exactly, I think of groomzillas and bridezillas, like sure, if this sure. doesn't go perfectly, then I'm going to be angry. But then it's so disappointing because it's like, well, what about the fact that you're surrounded by all your best friends and family, right? And yeah. all celebrating, there's so many opportunities for so many amazing memories to happen, but because you're fixated on one, and if that doesn't happen, you're gonna be disappointed. And frankly, even if you get it, you still are gonna be disappointed because you're so fixated on the results and you can't just fully be here, like fully be present. What are we doing? So it's just this manic rushing that America has always represented especially yes. in the 20th or 21st century of like, let's just create stuff because we should create stuff and never really asking like, let's create stuff because how is it going to better the world? You know, right now we don't really need more like inventions or more innovative ideas. We really need more kindness, caring, and compassion. Can that be, you know, in there? Because that is like, I, and that's all of what play is, right? It's just like, you're able to really resonate and vibe off of the other person, just like improv, where you're really listening mm -hmm. to what they have to say. And you're creating something that you have no idea what's going to come from it. But at the end, it's so magical and awesome. Jeff, I was hoping, would you perhaps have a story that you would share from your real life of a moment of pivot or change or adjustment that you experienced? Sure. I shared this story, the whole story, on my friend's uh, True Live Stories Toronto show. It's okay. a show where you like share your like the most vulnerable stories, of, you know, of your life, right? Um, and I was so nervous about this that I had a vulnerability hangover afterwards um, from it, which I love to talk about afterwards because I really haven't processed it either. But um, so it was about uh, seventh grade. And I remember I arrived in seventh grade and I was so excited that day, the first day of, of school, because I wanted to play with all my friends. I didn't get to play with them during the summer. I only saw a couple of them, but I was so amped to play Foursquare. Like Foursquare was my game, man. Four people <laughs> knocking that ball around and then they would get out, but you could always come back in. I'm just like, Foursquare is my game. So I went out to Foursquare and I'm just like, gonna play some Foursquare, gonna play some Foursquare. Like I'm singing this song because I'm so amped. 
And I get out there and I run to the squares and I'm standing in the square and there's no one on the square. And you can't play four square with one square. So I'm like, what is this? And I'm looking around and I'm like, where is everybody? And everyone's like in the asphalt, you know, courtyard and they're all hanging out and I'm like, what are they doing there? So I ran over, I think to like Jimmy, you know, and Matt. Um, and I was like, hey guys, you want to play four square? And they're like, no, 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 we don't play four square. Almost like discounting it. Like, oh, I would never play Foursquare. And then they started telling me, and they were like, hey, do you know that Ryan's going out with Samantha? Um, and do you know that Mark is going out with Daphne? And I'm like, so do they want to play Foursquare? I'm just trying to get an idea of how many people want to play this game. And what it was, was they had now given up playing to being cool. And like, mm. that was the new thing. So it was all about like being cool. So I wanted to continue to play Foursquare. So I'd show up every day and no one would show up. And after like maybe three months, I was like, oh gosh, fine. I'll play the new game, which is the cool game. So I was like, what do I need to do to play the new game? So I had to buy Z Cavarici pants. I had to buy Jerbo shirts. I got Dracard Noir to pour all over myself. Oh, I know, right? And um, the last thing I could not get, and that was um, all of the cool guys, because this was a predominantly white school, all had these luscious bangs that like fell over their eyes. And I'm black and Filipino, so I had this huge fro. So I was like, I can't do anything with this. But I took my my sister's Vidalsis, I stole my sister's Vidalsis in those, and I doused my hair with it and shoved it down no. so that it would create this frozen bang. And I walk around with this frozen bang all day and little did I know that mousse dries up. So by fifth period, it had changed from a bang into like a raccoon's butt that was just sitting outside of my forehead. And I'm like, hello, ladies, 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 ladies. <laughs> so like, that was like my attempt at being cool, right? Because I wanted to be cool because I just wanted to belong, right? That was it. I just wanted to belong. I just wanted to belong. How do I belong? You know, that's more important to me. That became more important to me than play. And I remember it was like near the end of the year and I wasn't cool enough. You know, all the cool kids were doing, were like hanging out together. By the way, no one told me there was a vote. Like, did you know there was a vote to be like, I just showed up one day and certain people were nominated. And you're like, how did you get nominated? Was it like, is <laughs> there an absentee ballot? Like, I'm just trying to get an idea of like who made these decisions so, you know, so I'm already feeling frustrated. Um, and then I remember, I think Matt told me, he was just like, are you going to Ryan's pool party? You know, anyone who's anyone is going to be there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to go to this party. This is it. This is the party. Um, and I remember, and then he said to me, oh, but you have to know someone in order to get in. You have to know someone who's already going. Um, so I what, the bouncer is going to kick you out? Exactly. This is seventh grade, dude. I'm like, what are we doing? So I ended up having to chase around a bunch of people, begging them. And I remember going up to Antonio 
and Joey, you know, these two Latino dudes. And I was like, are you going? And they're like, yeah, I don't like, can I go? And they're like, maybe. And then for the next two weeks, I was at their beck and call. I got their lunch. I followed them around. I passed those triangle notes that we had around for them. Like I was their courier of anything just so I could go. And, and, then, and then there was the night of the party. And I'm going, like I'm going. So I pour my Dracar Noir on, I'm like, I'm all ready to go. Like I'm, I'm literally sitting in the car with Antonio's mom and them. And I'm like, gonna go to this party, gonna go to party, going to the party. I'm like so amped. And we, I remember getting out of the car and like we're doing that smooth, cool walk, you know, like, like oh, mm -hmm. do the thing. And then I see um, a few of my friends, Carl and um, like Anthony and a bunch of other people um, as I'm walking up there and I'm feeling like so amped. And there's an argument that's happened. Um, and there was some pushing and shoving. And then someone goes, get the fuck out of here. We're not letting any niggers in this party. <gasps> and, and I'm black. And I'm just like, what? And oh, like, like I felt like there was like this stab to the gut because I'm like thinking like, like I'm a nigger, like I'm, I'm, am I not allowed in this party? You know, and I was just like, like I felt like water had filled up to my knees and just froze and I just couldn't move. Right? And then Antonio and Joey are just keep walking. And then at one point Antonio's like turns around and he says, like, come on, we'll be fine. And I'm like, no, I'm not gonna be fine. You're fine. I'm not fine. They're gonna know. Um, and I remember going up there and they looked at Antonio and then they looked at Joey and then they looked at me. And they were like, is he, is he black? And they were like, no, he's Latino. And I didn't say anything because I just wanted to belong, right? I just wanted to get in. And I remember like being like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, are they gonna let me in? And then they just gave this like nonchalant like nod, like, okay. And it was like nothing to them. But for me, it was like, it was everything. It was like everything that I'd always wanted to, to be, to, to feel like I belonged there, right? And I remember crossing the threshold, like the door. And, and at first I remember going through and feeling this huge level of relief. Um, and then thinking like next is gonna follow excitement. But instead of the excitement, I just felt like this immense amount of like shame. Just like, I felt like my heart dropped to like my spleen. And I felt like I left myself out there. And I, oh man, it was just, I remember it was a pool party and, and I remember like wanting to play in the pool and I remember just walking to the pool. Nobody's playing because everyone's being cool. And I remember just walking into the pool and just literally like submerging myself because I was like, mm. I felt so alone. And that was probably like the loneliest I had felt in my life up to until that moment. And then that day, I think I made a pact to not be cool anymore and to just to play because that seemed like so much more fun. 
And then I remember then going into my basement and then making up games for myself and just playing them. And I would continue to do that over and over again until some of my friends heard that I was just doing this and they were like, oh, what are you doing? And I'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm playing this ransacking game. You should come over. And they, they realized that was the place in which they didn't have to be cool and they could just simply play. And that was the environment that I created, like without even realizing it. Um, and that is exactly the work I do now, right? It's like I create these safe spaces where people can play and feel like they belong because like I don't want anyone else to feel that way and like that was really like the pivotal moment for me. Wow Jeff that is a vulnerable share thank you for sharing that um you know listening to that story the first half of it I was like me too but you know like it was seventh grade was a very painful time but Mm -hmm. the point at which I stopped saying me too was the point at which you had to deny who you were in order to get into a party you didn't enjoy. Mm-hmm. And that sense of belonging, you know, there's been plenty of research on this at this point is crucial. You know, being ignored mm-hmm. is the exact same to our brains as being hurt. Mm-hmm. I don't like that that was your experience, but it was your experience. Yeah, and but there's something like 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 um like I survived it, right? Like and I think mm-hmm. that's a really exciting thing of of any experience is like what is it that I took from it because would I have been bold enough to like start, you know, nerding out in my basement inviting people over if I didn't have that experience. Right. And I think of and I ask this of like your listeners, how many of you have felt like you're going to parties or going to things that you don't even want to go to, right? Like, what are you, like, jobs, like all the things. What are the decisions that we're making on a regular basis to please people that frankly, a year or 10 years from now, you won't even care about? And like, that's the part that is just mind boggling to me is like, we're all doing that on a regular basis. And it's really just so rough on our psyche and we don't have to treat yeah. ourselves that way. And it's like, toxic too, that the perpetual, trying to perpetually get somebody to approve of you who does not. Um, I, you know, I've had clients and people I care about who I have encouraged to, you know, run for the hills, go, go to themselves when they're in a place where they are undervalued for the mm-hmm. contribution that they bring to the table, where they're perpetually told, um, in language and action that they don't belong for whatever reason that that person or group of people have made that decision um, either consciously or unconsciously, because quite Mm -hmm. honestly, a lot of it is unconscious. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, our brains make all kinds of shortcuts for efficiency purposes and some of them are helpful. Some of them are not helpful, but they're all in the same category of, I didn't make the choice consciously. And, and I think of the, the, was it some of the lessons that they, that researchers learned when they asked a lot of people that were, that were elderly, you know, and were about to die, what do they regret most? Um, And in addition to working too much and in addition Mm -hmm. to not spending enough time with their friends and family, um, there was this part of like, 
not allowing myself to be happy, you know? Mm. That, and part of that is like not allowing myself to be me, to be me and to let yeah. people see me as me instead of being somebody else. It's so exhausting to be somebody else. And to watch, especially a lot of men, because so much toxic masculinity, a lot of us men are trying to carry this male, you know, masculine ego. And it's just like, what are you doing, dude? Like, who are you trying to impress? You know, I remember once being, when I was playing at Toys R Us, right? I came home at like 2 a.m. I'm on the train in New York. And there's a guy in the train with me. It's only me and him. And I'm looking off into the distance, but apparently I'm looking off in the distance slowly looking at him a little bit and he stands up and he's like you got a problem you know you want to fight and i was like you can just say you beat me up like do we need to do this no one here like who are you trying to impress you're trying to impress me now like what are you like it's just like so many of us are suffering from like carrying this burden of this facade that we've we've had this this identity that we've built and covid you know, as well as so many other things are challenging that and being like, that's not you. Do you really still want to hold on to that? Because that mm-hmm. is not helping you at all. You think of what many people want, right? Even, even me from where you're like, oh, well, I wish I want fame. I want fortune. I want everyone to know me. I want to impact everyone in the world, right? And that obviously comes from a very ego-centric place, mm-hmm. right? You know, a lot of people want to be the next Steve Jobs or, you know, Elon Musk or something. Well, on my birthday, which was August 4th, same, I have the same birthday as my mother. We always celebrate it together, right? So this one was such a memorable birthday because we did something we've never done before. I had found out that my former elementary school teacher, my music teacher, Judy Kirby, was in a senior citizen home, a senior center, um, and she was suffering from a lot of complications. It might have been all been to hospice, but she was at this place called Hope House, and you, I, we found out that you could go and sing to her while she was while she was laying in her bed, and she might be awake or she might not be, but wow. you know. So that's what we did. We woke up early and then we got there by like 9 a.m. And it was weird when we went up there because we were like, yeah, we were here to sing to, you know, you know Mrs. Kirby, you know where she is. And, and they knew and they walked right over and they, you know, and they opened the window and me, my sister, my two nephews and my mom and I all sat there or sat, stood there with our masks on um, <laughs> and sang um, Sound of Music. Um, more than were I'm mean, not more than words. Um, the I don't know the Patrick Swayze ghost song, um, and what a wonderful world we sang those songs. Oh. To. Um, and it just made me think as I was sitting there singing or standing there sitting uh, singing, um, the amount of people that also came and also sang, and the amount of people that also couldn't come but they made videos like tributes to her that were played for her, and I just think of this person that did not have all the fame, like did not have all the fortune, but had impacted so many people's lives, thousands, tens of thousands of kids' lives as a music teacher. She was the first person to put an instrument in some kid's hands. She was Mm -hmm. the first person to put a kid on stage in front of like 100 or 200 people. 
you know, she put makeup on me. I never had worn makeup before. Like, you know, <laughs> she had gotten kids to believe they could sing or act or do something that they never thought possible. Like, and she did that for tens of thousands of, of kids that would always remember her. And to the point that they would come back and sing to her. So I felt like it had come full circle. And it was just so humbling to be like, this is the life. This is a life I want to live. This is someone that I want to embody. Because, and the whole time she did it, she didn't do it for the fame or fortune or anything. She did it just because she loved what she did. She just played and then I gave, gave kids permission to also play in a playground that was her playground. And there's just such a level of bravery in that. Um, and then showing up there and singing to her was so powerful because then three days later she passed away. Wow. And, and I could have, I could have done the other thing, right? The math thing where I would be like, oh, I don't think I have time to get over there. And then I would have found out that she passed away and I would have been like, oh yeah, that was, that's sad. But instead, by going there, I felt like I had a life-changing moment right there because by her living the life that she lived, she was now inspiring me to be like, this is what's important, Jeff. This is it. This right here. And I'm like, and I can't thank her enough for that. So like, yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing that too. That's awesome. I, um, I, I am stunned at how quickly time is passing in listening to you share stories and perspectives that I, everything you've said has resonated deeply with me and I'm sure it will resonate a lot with the listeners of this show. Is there anything that you would like to share with folks before we, before we're like, time's up. I mean, you know, is there anything that in terms of what you think is helpful in processing change or instigating changes in your own life and experiences? What words of wisdom, what do you want to share with people? Mm. What do you want to leave people with? I, I always love sharing this at the end of workshops I run. I love to share the end of Goodwill Hunting. You remember the end of Goodwill Hunting? <laughs> yeah. Right? So like Matt Damon sitting there with Ben Affleck and Matt says to him, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to raise my kids at Foley Field, you know, with you. And Ben turns to him and he goes, I will fucking kill you if you stay here. Like you <laughs> are sitting on a winning lottery ticket and you're too scared to cash it in. And he's just like, oh, what are you talking about? What do you, you know, you say I, I owe it to myself. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't owe it to, you don't owe it to yourself. You owe it to me. You owe it to all these other people that, that would give anything to have the talent that you have. And I feel like everyone is sitting on a winning lottery ticket. There is mm. something unique and interesting and fascinating and weird and strange and curious about you that is you that is the reason partly while you're here and when you are able to like let that embrace that weird and let it out and show people your full you not your facade you not half you but your full you you give permission for everyone else to be like oh man I want to do that as well. 
and right now, I really believe this, and I say this all the time at the workshops, is right now someone is waiting for you to show up so they can show up. So what are you going to show up? Because they can't. And that is the contribution we give to this world, right? That's the contribution right there, is you show up fully so someone else can, so that we can solve really complex problems like climate change and racism and toxic you know, masculinity and all that. Because when people fully show up, then they can be like, no, I don't tolerate that anymore. No, that is what happened in the past, but that's the past. And we're not in that antiquated, patriarchal, male-dominated BS past. That's done. We're moving on to something dope in the future. But we can't do that if people don't show up fully. So that's what I wish for people, is to cash in on your winning lottery ticket. Not for the fame or for the fortune, but just because it is such a more enjoyable, fun life. And it's also going to give permission for so many other people to play. Awesome, Jeff Harry. Uh, if people want to find more of you, where do they look? They can find me at rediscoveryourplay.com or you can find me on Instagram at Jeff Harry Plays. It's the same handle for TikTok and Twitter and YouTube. And that's where I post all of my ridiculously nerdy, hilarious, strange videos. I, I make them all the time. I love doing it. Awesome. Well, I'm sure people will be checking that out. I just want to say thank you. You did a vulnerable share. You've been a delight to speak with, and I super appreciate your time. Absolutely. This was awesome. Thanks so much. You know what's cooler than cool? Well, my takeaway from this conversation with Jeff is it's letting go of being cool so that you can be yourself. What if we all let go more, played more, and we're super curious and open to discover more? Life is filled with pain, but also joy. So why not turn up the volume on that? And as we move into that place of deeper joy, less to prove, maybe we can worry less about whether we're doing it right and instead look for ways that we can do things together. What if, instead of polarizing tribalism, we look to share joy and creation as a way of finding our place in the world? Check out Jeff Harry at rediscoveryourplay.com. We'll have links and more in the show notes for this episode available at thechangedpodcast.com. If you're feeling inspired, please subscribe, rate, and review and share this episode. And of course, thank you so much for listening to The Changed Podcast. This show comes to you from the Art of Change Skills for Life. Visit www.artofchange.com to explore how you might grow your communication, collaboration, and leadership skills through workshops, coaching, and more. Plus, you get to work with me. I'm Aiden Nepom, and I wish you the kind of experiences in life that you're excited to tell stories about.